I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This podcast was recorded on Wandry land. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and to the traditional owners of the game Mangrook, without which our game wouldn't exist. This is Footy Actually, brought to you by Play On Radio. Hello and welcome to Footy Actually, the alternative listening footy podcast for diehard fans. My name is Kel Rowe and I'm here with my co-host, Gemma Bastiani, AFLW analyst extraordinaire. How are you going, Gem? Hello, I'm good. Best analyst in the league, I hear. <laughs> I've heard that from a few people this week, so uh, I'm, I'm riding that wave. I'd say it's a uh, a well-earned title. <laughs> so despite the usual health and safety outs, both from individuals and a team, uh, it almost feels like we've hit some kind of new normal now that we're in round five at the, the halfway mark of the home and away season. GWS, of course, sat out this week and we finally got to see the doggies back in action at Witten Oval uh, in some Tuesday night footy. The matchups across the weekend meant that some of the teams that we've been desperate to see nab a win did whilst others continue to struggle to find their form. And Frio's unbeaten run was finally stopped firmly in its tracks. But we'll get to that later. <laughs> what did you think, Jem? Of the round as a whole? The round as a whole. Look, I'm very tired. <laughs> That's the first <laughs> thing. But uh, yeah, I've been down to Geelong this weekend. I've been down to Casey this weekend. I spent today in my apartment under aircon, which was nice. <laughs> um, Just to balance it out. Yeah, but... No, it's been good. I think um, I think this week's told us a lot and not much about a lot of teams, if that says anything. <laughs> <laughs> it does, it does. Well, let's get into it. The The round began with a Tuesday evening game at Witten Oval. Uh, it was our extra midweek game between the Western Bulldogs and Fremantle. I think most of us assumed that Frio would pretty much continue their dominance, uh, but the plucky dogs outfit really had other ideas. They kind of pushed each other in- and, and used defensive pressure to the max. The dogs showed some absolute class around stoppages. Home side nearly overcame the Dockers, but it was literally just a lucky breakaway in traffic and some brilliance from Ebony Antonio that saw Fremantle clinch a goal and against the wind in the dying stages of the fourth quarter. It was an unreal game and, and it left me thinking that perhaps without the hindrance of COVID, uh, the doggies might be having a very different season. I told you all that the dogs would be good. I couldn't predict what's happened to them, but I told you all that they would be good. That's all I'm <laughs> going to say there. 
the dog's backline is very persistent and very reliable. And now that they're getting probably their first choice defensive line into the side, probably Elise Gamble is the only one not in the side that you'd probably always call up every week. Obviously, Katie Lynch is there. Isabel Grant has been playing well. Naomi Ferris in the back line. Ash Guest, Eleanor Brown. So that's a really solid backline that, you know, you just kind of put uh, Elise Gamble in there when she's ready to go. They conceded 37 inside 50s for just three goals. So they forced Frio either really wide or really far from goal. So the shots were less efficient. And they held Frio to, at the time, their lowest score of 2022. The other thing that was really impressive to me about the dogs was Celine Moody's positioning. So Mm. after the ruck taps, Moody would move into the corridor of the forward 50. So that's where Freya probably look to get a mark, get a lead, but um, she would just sit there and competed really, really well in the air, but she also took up that space that didn't let Freya play that natural forward game that they wanted to. And it was really impressive to watch. And, in the post-game presser, I did ask Nathan Burke about her performance. And uh, this is not a verbatim quote, but it's roughly what he said was, I've not seen every game she's played, but I've not seen her play a better one than that. And uh, it's probably mm. how most people people felt about Celine Moody's game back on Tuesday night. I think she's done a really good job of finding a second string to her bow because that's what we talk about with Rux is, yeah, taps, but what else can they do? Yeah. It's really important that you have a ruck that, isn't just able to do those taps, but to, they have a second thing that they can do around the ground. So we'll talk about Lauren Pierce later, but Caitlin Gould goes forward, Montana McKinnon goes back, Lauren Pierce becomes an extra mid. All those players can do different things. Emma King is a forward. And Celine Moody is starting to become that sort of player that has that extra thing that she can do. And it's mm. leveled her up this year. I really think that uh, the competition for the best Moody is heating up in that respect. Yeah, I mean, I have opinions about all Australian last year, but we won't go into that. <laughs> Lost Pierce. No, I not that Bree Moody shouldn't have gotten there, <laughs> but that Lauren Pierce should have also been in that team is my opinion. Anyway, agreed. I said I wouldn't go into it. I went into it. There we are. <laughs> that was my fault. I baited you into it. Uh, so, who were your play on performer votes go to? Uh, I've given three to Kirsty Lamb. So she had three inside fifties, six clearances, kicked a goal. 329 meters gained. She was just super dynamic around the contest. And she's one of those players that is coming back from those health and safety protocols, maybe against the Giants, wasn't able to run out a full game in the midfield, so had to spend time forward. She's also been da- um, dealing with a bit of a, I think it's a foot injury or something like that. But now that she's kind of hitting her straps again, she's so difficult to stop. And I just love how dynamic she's around the stoppage. She's dynamic, but in a different way to what Ellie Blackburn and Jess Fitzgerald are, which is really advantageous. Mm. Two to Kiara Bowers. This game feels like it was so long ago um, now that I'm talking about it. Um, two to Kiara Bowers. She obviously got the two-week suspension in this game for a hit on Kirsty Lamb, but Bowers had 20 disposals, 12 tackles, seven inside 50s and three 25 metres gain. So she had a big say in that surge that... Um, mm. Second quarter surge where Amy Franklin kicked two goals on debut and then the final quarter where they did get that goal through Ebony Antonio. Um, and then one to Celine Moody. I, I mentioned already, but she had three intercepts, 18 hitouts, nine rebound 50s, and her positioning I think was phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. 
I would have probably agreed with you on the Bowers front until she had the brain fart, which led to her suspension. Interesting how the dynamic of the game changed when Kirsty Lamb was off the field too. So I have given three votes to Haley Miller. She's just having an incredible season. The captaincy looks really good on her. She's constantly finding the ball and and making good use of it. Uh, I've given two votes to Kirsty Lamb. Totally agree with you. She's becoming really crucial to I think the dog style of play and like you said is is a very nice compliment to the strong mid that Ellie Blackburn provides they're really great to watch play football together and I've given one vote to Ebony Antonio who is just basically positioning herself as a clutch player for Fremantle at the moment I think that snap in the in the final term to seal the win for them was Yep. She's got to keep your feet. But it's pretty hard to when she puts a balk on you. I know she didn't do it in that scenario, but this is the the kind of thing that we've come to expect from her. She seems to pull it out every game. It's great. From the same position on the ground. Yeah, every time, that pocket. So good. So we get to Friday night, um, and that brings us the Cats against West Coast at GMHBA Stadium. It's a match that finally saw the home side break their winless season. I think we've all been rooting for the Cats to get one. They've come agonisingly close to winning in their previous matches. And in this one, the Eagles put the pressure on, particularly at the contest for all four quarters, and nearly snatched the win with 90 seconds to go. But thanks to an incredible pickpocket in the goal square by Darcy Maloney, the Cats won their first game for the season by three points. Yes, it was dramatic. It was quite a fascinating game, I think. And people will probably look at the scoreline or look at who the teams were and be like, that surely wasn't an interesting game, maybe save for that scoring in the last quarter. But I think structurally this was a fascinating game. Mm. The first thing we learned out of this was that the Cats have learned how to win even if they haven't performed particularly well during that game. So this was probably, weirdly enough, Geelong's worst performance of the year. They didn't play the game style consistently that we know that they can and that they've shown us this year that they can. But when the game was on the line, in those last 90 seconds, they pulled it out. And that's something we haven't seen them do, really, in a close game. They've not been on the positive side of it. The the win that they had last season was a fairly big win over Gold Coast. They haven't had a close win in a really long time. So that was a real positive for them. The other thing that I noticed, and I had the privilege of calling this game for the ABC, is there was a significant win, and we're going to talk about wind all day today because every <laughs> single game was significantly impacted by wind, Everyone. and it drives me mad. Nina Morrison and Georgie Prasparkis, they weren't ever lining up in the midfield at the same time. Mm. What they would do was when Geelong did have the wind, so in the first and the third quarters, Nina Morrison would line up at half forward. And then when they didn't have the win, so the second and fourth quarters, uh, Georgie Prasparkis would be in the forward line and the other player would be in the midfield. It was really interesting to see that dynamic change. Originally, Dana Hooker would be playing, was playing on Nina Morrison, but then Ashley McCarthy went down with that wrist injury. So Hooker got moved into the midfield and and Maddie Collier went to either Morrison or Prasparkis. But it was a really interesting uh, play by Daniel Lowther. And it was interesting to watch it play out because you could see what each player could do in the forward line, depending on what the conditions were. Um, so I totally went off script there because I was going to talk <laughs> more about something else, but we'll leave it at that. Okay, great. Who are your play on performer votes go to this week? 
Oh, the other thing I was going to say, sorry, just to go back one step. I do have my notes in front of me. I just didn't look at them. <laughs> uh, what I've written is I love Darcy Maloney. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. literally Fair what to say. notes say. We all love Darcy Maloney. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So votes. Uh, three to Emma Swanson. When West Coast were really struggling, Emma Swanson was very consistently doing the work. She ended the game with 27 disposals, five marks, eight clearances, six intercepts. She was covering the ground really well. Two to Rebecca Webster. She was so important for the Cats. Um, she didn't just kick their first goal. In the last quarter, she was instrumental at the stoppages. And then for that final goal, she was actually the one that cleared the ball and got it really deep forward. So massive props to Rebecca Webster. Um, she had 20 disposals, 504 metres gain and, ki- and kicked a goal. Um, and then Amy McDonald. Amy McDonald is a super consistent player. She's become the leader of their midfield since um, Purcell went down last year and then, and then got traded. She ended the game with 24 disposals, 12 clearances, and seven tackles. She's always got a really high balance of clearances and tackles, which is really mm. important. The thing that I would love to see Amy McDonald improve in her game, and, and I probably liken her a little bit to um, Elise Parker maybe 18 months ago. Elise Parker, always strong around the contest, could win the ball, would put the defense on. But when she did win the ball, it was just a quick kick forward. There wasn't a lot of method to that disposal. Um, Mm. Whereas now Elise Parker's kind of made that change in her game. She separates herself a little bit before disposing of the ball. She's a little bit more considered with it. Her game has gone to a new level. I think that's what Amy McDonald's game needs to take her to the next level as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've pretty much agreed, but in a slightly different order. I've given three votes to Amy McDonald um, for all the reasons that you said. She has really become a leader in the midfield um, and obviously a critical part of their engine room in that game. Um, I've given two to Becky Webster. Again, I think the combination of those two players has been quite helpful too. We talked before the season about how the Cats might be able to find avenues to score uh, and move the ball in, inside 50. And I feel like both those players have really stepped up in that regard. Um, and I've given one vote to Emma Swanson because when the chips are down, it's always really great to see a captain try and lift their team, even if it didn't quite work out in their favour. Almost, just not quite. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> and then first cap off the rank on Saturday was Brisbane and Collingwood. Uh, it was a blustery hit out. Like we said, we're going to talk about wind. Up at the Lions' new home in Maroochydore. The Lions seem to have shaken off their disrupted start to the season uh, and they pretty much dominated the Pies from siren to siren. We were treated to another fantastic outing in front of goals by newcomer Zimmy Farquharson and the home side did pretty well to play to the conditions once they worked out what the conditions were. (laughs) Collingwood struggled to find entries into their Ford 50 uh, and their only successful conversion came from Eloise Chasson, which is always good to see the, the new kids kicking goals. But, yeah, tough day for the Pies. Uh, if anyone wants to read about Collingwood's issues, I highly recommend. I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> An article I wrote for AFL Women's, as Kel said, she'll put it in the show notes. That sounded really uh, obnoxious. So sorry, everyone. <laughs> I know my place. <laughs> We've talked about the midfield and a midfield without Davy. How do you replace Davy? All that sort of stuff. The midfield isn't the issue for Collingwood without Davey, they can still win clearances. They can still be strong around the contest. That's not the problem. Davey's ability to to transition that midfield dominance 
in to attack is what they're really missing. And that mm. is where they're really coming undone here. So they lost the inside 50s 37 to 20. They had a club low last game against Freo with just 10. They've had two of their lowest scores. I think their lowest score and their third lowest score in AFLW history over their past two games. They've kicked one goal in each game. That transition from Davey is the thing that they haven't been able to replace. And I don't know where the answer is there. Mm. Jamie Lambert is a very, very good midfielder, but she's an under midfielder that probably relies on outside runners or bigger bodies like a Davey, like, you know, a Sarah Rowe playing out of the wing to get it forward. And that, that connection has been lost. And that's what I'm really concerned with because we know Brisbane are a good side. And, and as you said, Brisbane adapted to the conditions really well. Collingwood didn't. Um, mm. The conditions were horrendous, by the way. I, um, I know everyone <laughs> loves... Well, I know everyone loves community grounds because the feel and all that sort of stuff. But there's a point where the grounds don't serve an elite competition well enough. And we're kind of getting to that point now. That's a different conversation. But but yeah, I think Collingwood came into the season as one of the probably the, the highest rated, four, four highest rated teams in the comp. I don't know how they fix the problem with who they've got available right now. Yeah, it does. It does seem really challenging for them. I can't help but think when I watch them that Lambert and Benici are doing as much work as they humanly possibly can. Yeah, yeah. But it's like they're, they are literally playing a player down and then and like I said they're just really missing that connection up to the forward line and then what connection they do get isn't capitalized on yeah you're right and I again I'm not trying to say that Benici and Lambert aren't great midfielders because we know that they are it's the specific thing that Davey offers that they don't that no one mm. else in the team really is giving them so Benici and Lambert are still performing at a really high level but yeah, that attack, that inside 50, I think Davey was averaging, I want to say 5.4 inside 50s a game last year. I'll have to confirm that. But that is really hard to replace. And then Davey also kicked six goals last year. Mm. Benici kicked their one goal against Frio a week and a half ago, but isn't a regular goal kicker. Lambert can be at times, but it's more when she's resting forward. Davey's such a dynamic player. There's a reason she won the competition best and fairest last year. Yeah. That is a concern. And we know that I like spread across the team and Collingwood don't have enough of that right now. Who did your play on performer votes go to this week? I'm excited to once again, give Emily Bates three votes. She's a superstar. We've always known that she's been a, a star. Like always Emily Bates has been one of the best players in the competition. We're, let's just get that out there really quickly. She's gone to a new level this year, and it's quite similar to Hayley Miller, actually. So prior to this year, Bates had kicked three goals. Um, She was averaging 16.9 disposals, 2.1 score involvements, and 2.7 clearances. So that was between 2017 and 2021. This year, she's kicked three goals. So she's doubled her career tally in the space of five games, four games. She's averaging 22.3 disposals, 3.3 score involvements, and has nearly doubled her average clearances up to 5.3. So every area where we know that Emily Bates can be damaging, she's taken it up a notch. And in this game, she had 22 disposals, 410 metres gained, and kicked a goal. So compare that to how the the, um, performance of a Lambert or a Bonici, they are getting the metres gained, but 
200, 250, it's not as high. It's not as damaging. Hmm. Second vote. Sorry, I'm getting confused now. (laughs) It's the Emily Bates show. Yeah, I'm so excited (laughs) about Emily Bates. Um, Two to Greta Bodie, 15 disposals, seven tackles and kicked a goal in a game where the wind was really impacting the way the ball was being used. She, um, the Spark sisters, um, Sophie Conway, all Odia, they were the ones that came to the fore because they recognized that if you're going to kick the ball long, the wind is going to impact it. You can't be as clean mm. as you want. So let's run the ball so that the, the wind can't have as much of a say. And she was really important there and kicked the goal to end the game. Um, and then I've given one to Jamie Lambert because I think she battled really hard in that midfield when it was a really hard day to be a Collingwood midfielder. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I've given three votes to Emily Bates. Agree. And it's funny that you mentioned Hayley Miller because that's exactly what I thought of when I was like, her season, it's just like she's she's doing a Hayley Miller, just really levelling up. Um, I gave two votes to Cathy Spark. I think she did a really good job on Britt Benici. 12 tackles. Huge tackle count. Um, really limited Benici at times too in the game, I think, um, which would have made it all the more harder for the Pies to move the ball. Uh, and I've also given one vote to Ruby Schleicher. Um, it would have been a hard day to be in the buyer's defence. And as per the usual, she was doing her best to rebound out. So um, got to see a lot of the ball, but also did a pretty good job with it, I think. Could have been yeah. a lot worse. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So in our second hit out for Saturday, the Dees hosted the Suns out at Casey Fields in a match that saw the home side pushed to the very end. Gold Coast have really upped the ante this season, hitting the scoreboard first in this game. Um, and they did their best to shut down the Dees run using pressure at the contest. Casey Fields continues to be the third opposition in these games with its own unique weather system. Again, (laughs) wind, (laughs) causing a few shots to go wayward. Uh, But in the end, Melbourne prevailed, winning by 12 points. So you were there, Jim. I was there. It was very windy, like (laughs) stupid windy, as Casey Fields tends to be. You know, we love talking about Melbourne, how Melbourne are doing good things, all that sort of stuff. But what what I'd like to talk about today is... You know, the Suns won their last two and then lost this one by two goals. But what it showed was that they have a real grit even when they're missing really key players. So Jade Brudelli was out of this game. She's done her ACL, which is devastating. She's such an important member of that defensive line. 
So Lauren Ahrens had to be the player and Lauren Ahrens had to step up. She was playing directly on Taylor Harris and did a really good job for three quarters yeah. until she did her hamstring. So Ahrens didn't play the final quarter. So Vivian Saad had to go into Taylor Harris. So even with that disruption in the back line against the forward line, that is a pretty ominous one in what Melbourne has. They did a fantastic job of just keeping their cool and working their way through the situation to the point where they were pushing in that final quarter, threatening to take it away from Melbourne. So the thing that I just really love about the Suns is that they're at the point now where they just don't ever give up. And that final Mm. quarter surge keeps you invested in them. And, you know, for I'm not trying to sell the game to anyone, but if you're a marketer of the Gold Coast Suns, that's the thing that you want because you can say that in games until the last moment, you can't turn it off early. They're not getting blown away, even by some of the best teams in the comp. But then the other layer of that is around the ball. Jamie Stanton is in some really good form right now. Alison mm-hmm. Drennan is one of the hardest workers that they've got. And then Charlie Robottom, number one draft pick around the ball. That trio is phenomenal. And then Jackie Yorston is getting back in there and, and Claudia Whitford is playing bits through there. So they've got a really solid list to build on now. And it's just so exciting. It really is. And I think we, we said this last week, but it's good for the competition, the teams like Gold Coast to be performing. And their Indigenous Guernseys are unbelievably nice. So good. So yep. good. I promised myself I wouldn't buy any more Guernseys this season, but it's getting harder. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting harder. Um, who did your play on performer votes go to? So... I've given three to Lauren Pierce. Lauren Pierce had 20 disposals, which was the most on the ground, 20 hitouts, which was the most on the ground, seven clearances, most on the ground, eight intercepts, equal most on ground, two contested marks, equal most on ground. Lauren Pierce, she's just so good. And it frustrates me that people maybe don't see her as a pure enough ruck to consider her alongside a Bree Moody alongside an Emma King because she probably the most important player on Melbourne's list they played this game without a Tyler Hanks without Maddie Gay you could move those pieces around you can fix that Tyler Hanks and Maddie Gay are phenomenal players but Mm. you can Melbourne can fix that they've got depth of list to cover that yeah Lauren Pierce goes down and Maggie Karras is a good emerging ruck but she can't do what Lauren Pierce can do Mm. Um, and it really forces opposition rucks to do more. And when they can't do more, they get exposed. And I think that's what happened to Lauren Beller in this game. Um, so yeah, Lauren Pierce, three votes. Amazing. Go Lauren Pierce. Two to Jamie Stanton. As I said, she's in a really good patch of form right now. Um, she had 16 disposals, seven tackles, 348 meters gained. And she kicked that running goal late in the game. She got space out the back, became an option, used her speed, kicked a great goal. So Jamie Stanton, loving what she's doing. And then I've given, I could have given this one vote to anyone. Honestly, there were so many people, but I've given it to Lily Mithin because I think Lily Mithin set the standard for Melbourne in this game. She laid 12 Mm. tackles. This game broke the record for most aggregate tackles between both games with 178. Um, The previous high was 164 between Melbourne and Adelaide in round, I think it was seven last year at Casey Fields as well. Um, Lily Mithin worked so, so hard in this game. And again, she's one of those players that helps you cover 
not having a Tyler Hanks or a Maddie Gay in the side. Yeah. And she worked incredibly hard. She got thrown around like you wouldn't believe. There were about five times where I thought she was dead. That was it. She was done. <laughs> um, she bounced up every single time. And, and yeah, Lily Mithin, absolute champ. Amazing. Yeah, I, uh, I was also really impressed with her efforts. I've given three votes to Eden Zanker. I really, really enjoyed the matchup between Zanker and Robottom. Like, Tell me about it. <laughs> that was entertaining football. So interesting to watch. I really want to see them come up against each other more. That was fantastic. Both go to Sydney and play with each other. Anyway, I yeah. say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've given two votes to Lily Mithin uh, for all the reasons you said. She she absolutely set the standard. 12 tackles is huge. Most um, on the ground. Yeah, and she's not a sizable player in terms of like height <laughs> no. and body for Melbourne. No. And yet she lays them on. It's just absolutely fantastic to see. And I've given one vote to Charlie Robottom for the same reason I've gave, given three to Eden Zanker. It was just so entertaining to see that. I love watching her play footy. She's just so confident with her decision-making and use of the ball for someone who is just starting out at the elite level. Um, it's really awesome to see. Uh, and it just makes me feel really good about our footy pathways, if that's the standard that's coming through. Come to Sydney. You never know. Come to Sydney. Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> right. Back at it after their Tuesday night loss to Fremantle. On Sunday, the Dogs hosted Richmond in a belated Pride match. It was an extremely entertaining affair with the home side out to prove that they have the goods, claiming a 17-point birthday win for coach Nathan Burke. So that's kind of a nice little treat. Kirstie Lamb continues to be crucial to the dog's success and the Tigers were unable to shut her efforts down. Uh, it was really great to see Ella McKenzie back for Richmond, um, but overall I think the Tigers struggled to sort of string together solid chains of possession in the face of the dog's pressure, particularly um, at stoppages, just amazing stuff. I think in the past people have suggested the dog's midfield doesn't run deep enough um, and they've worked really hard to rectify that and they've got mm. a lot of mids who can also play in another position so um, they have the flexibility to throw a lot of players through that midfield this game I think was a good example of what a midfield star can do with and without consistent support so we talked about Kirsty Lamb against Frio at the top of this show yeah she was brilliant but then she also had the help of Blackburn and Fitzgerald largely in that midfield. So those three combined for 55 disposals, seven inside 50s, and 1,000 metres gained. Huge. So those three players have formed a really solid trio. They all have little things that they um, can offer, and they work really well um, as a unit. Their chemistry is really good. Then you compare that. We know Monique Conti is a star. She had another 24, dis- uh, 23, 24 disposal in this game. Um, but she just doesn't have that consistent help that we'd hoped would come through this year. And I know mm. Ellie McKenzie was only just returning and her being back will be really helpful to that. So that's a caveat to this. She wasn't playing all of her minutes in the midfield because she's slowly kind of getting it back into her legs. But if you look at the combination of Conti, Sarah Hosking and Ellie McKenzie, which is probably their key midfield trio, um, they combined for 42 disposals, four inside 50s and 695 metres gained. Monique Conti was responsible for half of those metrics. So they're just not getting enough support from enough people through that middle of the ground. And I I said a bit earlier about, you know, 
even spread, having more contributors, that sort of thing. And I think that's something that Richmond's lacking. And and again, we have to flag that they do have a lot of injuries. They copped three key injuries during this game and it's not mm. helped them at all. But uh, heaping too much on too few people is just not working for them. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you're so right about Conti not having the right support because there were moments where she got the ball and I was watching and I was like, oh, something's about to happen. But it didn't because she was yeah. just shut down by the, the pressure from the dogs. Um, I did think on a number of occasions watching her absolutely run people down that Jess Hosking is an absolute tackle machine. I don't know how many tackles she laid in that game, but she just seemed to appear everywhere, at least in the first half of the game. Five tackles. Five tackles. Well, there were five really decent tackles because um, they obviously left an impression on me. <laughs> <laughs> Who will your play on performer votes go to? So again, another three to Kirsty Lamb. She's copped six from me in this episode alone. So 27 disposals to match her Guernsey number, nine marks. Um, and I was speaking to a dogs player, maybe Izzy Huntington earlier this year. And she said, Kirsty Lamb is the person if you don't know who to kick it to always kick it to Kirsty Lamb because somehow she works out how to mark it no matter how bad the kick is um so that stood out in my mind when I saw that she <laughs> took nine marks in this game I think it was Izzy it might have been someone else but yeah that's the vibe at the dogs um I like it three inside 50s four 57 meters gained so again we talked about Collingwood and not getting enough of that drive forward out of their midfield dominance. Kirsty Lamb is offering that in spades. I've given the two to Monique Conti because, again, she's amazing. It's really hard to continue to have that attack at the ball and that hard work and all that sort of stuff when it is so, so difficult, which it was for her in this game. She had 23 touches, five marks, three inside 50s, five clearances. So, again, she's doing a lot of that work. She's just not getting enough support. Um, and then one to Ellie Blackburn, who, again, superstar of the comp. Um, she had 19 touches, five tackles, 410 metres gained. So, again, that drive forward, that willingness to attack, um, that direct attack as well, it really puts defences under pressure. So, yeah, I think those three had a really good game. Yeah, well, I've almost agreed with you. I've got the same three names, just in a slightly different order. Three votes to Kirsty Lamb. She's just phenomenal. I, I feel bad for not really giving her enough attention in previous seasons, but she's really risen to the occasion this year. I've given two votes to Ellie Blackburn. I love their, their combo alongside Jess in the midfield. Today, Ellie kicked a couple of really tidy bullet passes through the middle to switch sides, and it really just broke the game open in, in those moments. And she just plays the role of the perfect captain. Like she leads her team so well. She puts in the work. She leads by example. Um, and the Bulldogs are so lucky to have her there. It's fantastic. And then I've given one vote to Mon Conti, who, you know, I think we're in agreement. She she worked really hard today and it, it didn't come off just because she didn't have the right support. What's the saying? A, a team of champions versus a champion team? It's the difference. Yes, you said that to me about a different team earlier and I disagreed <laughs> with you, but uh, I, I would say that at times, at I don't times want to talk it's applicable about for Richmond. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're about to, so. <laughs> yes, I did leave the dogs game a little bit earlier to go to the, the next game on Sunday, the Blues-Crows game. Despite a better start at the top of the game, Carlton's run seemingly went from bad to worse with <laughs> a damaging Adelaide. The Premier favourites ran away with a 39-point win. 
The Blues fought to stay in it for about three quarters, but they were just outclassed by the visitors in the final term. They were absolutely made to pay for frustrating decisions when in possession of the ball. One shining light for the Baggers, though, was uh, Mim Hill back on deck after an ACL last year. Um, she was in pretty solid form, but it wasn't enough in the face of the dominant Crows outfit. In my notes, I also have, I am sad and I do not want to talk about it. <laughs> That's what I'm laughing at because I just saw that then. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Carlton have built a game style that relies on a couple of very specific players mm. being available and playing well. Yep. And I think this goes back to probably Chloe Dalton in 2019. They found that run and carry that outside ball use game to be really effective. So they've wanted to continue that probably 2020 rather than 2019 maybe, but they haven't had Chloe for two years and they've tried to recruit or, or find players to play that role and Mm. Chloe Dalton's a fairly unique player and fairly irreplaceable Brooke Walker offers a little bit of it I think Mimi Hill um, did a fabulous job today coming back and being that outside runner she covered the ground beautifully and then I think the other one that they really rely on is Gab Pound who missed the last two games through health and safety protocols you notice the difference her being there today yeah so I think that's probably a place to start for Carlton is assessing whether their game plan is usable, workable when they don't have two or three of those players, because mm. I don't think it is. Um, they had those three players today and it didn't quite work anyway, but you know, they don't have that big forward target. Bree Moody was out. So Jess Good had to play the ruck on her own all day. So they had no tall forward target. So they want to use speed to get it in there, but to use speed to get it in there, you have to be clean with the ball and your handball receives down the ground and they're not clean with the ball and the handball receives. And I think the the gulf between the really skillful crows and the little bit messy fumbly blues became more and more evident as the game went on because they just drop those handballs that they need to hit. They don't, they're not a one touch team. It takes them a second grab to take the ball and things like that. Whereas then you Mm. look at Daniel Ponta's goal late in the game. Oh, she had two opportunities to gather the ball out of the air and she just plucks it out of the air, passes it on, comes back, grabs it again. And they're just so clean. They hit their targets. They do all those things. So I think that's where um, Carlton's probably falling down is they want to play a game style that they don't yet have the skills to do consistently. When it works, it's amazing. Mm. Um, but they it's not happening enough for them to rely wholly on that and still be contending. If they admit, Hey, we're, we're going for youth. We want to rebuild this list. So it's consistently good. We're preparing for expansion. So we're focused on youth. If they were saying that, then I'd say, okay, I get it. Um, It makes sense, but I don't, they seem to be stuck between the two mindsets right now. And I don't know where they go from there. I think some tough calls need to be made about, what players they need, who they can keep around um, at the end of this season based on the way they want to be playing in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I don't like to sit, you know, in on my high horse and say they should play this way because I'm not an elite footballer. But so many times today watching, I couldn't help but think if they just cleared the ball through a, a kick rather than tried to handball one, two more times, 
then they would have had the jump on the crows and they would have been able to use that element of surprise a little bit rather than continuing to try and go down the same avenue, the same side even, and move the ball in the same way. The, the crows are too smart for that. Crows well, I- are generally smart as an animal, but this football team is another level of smart. <laughs> and they just ex- they were just exposed. Yeah, and, and there's, uh, Richmond did this as well today, actually, I should mention. The thing that the Blues do typically do quite well is once they're in defence, switch to the open side and use that. And they, they're they well yeah. drilled with that. And for Richmond, Sarah Santonetti and Rebecca Miller were doing that really well too. Mm. But once they're up on the wing, they're not using the ball cleanly enough. And that's where it's like the defence is fairly reliable, but they get inundated because of the mistakes that happen 60 metres from goal. Yeah. So that's probably where they need to assess. And again, like if they're saying hey, we're building for the next five years rather than this year. I get it because a big overturn of players in the last off season probably indicates, it probably indicates that they're going for youth as well. They're the Mm. second, third youngest team in the comp, you know, move on some of those older players. If you're going to do that, we've got to really see something clear coming out of that. And that's probably something that will emerge over the next couple of weeks. I hope so. I really hope that they find some kind of form or rhythm because it's got to be quite soul-destroying for them as players to constantly be on the losing end of, of a game, but also in a way that they, they know in themselves that they can play better, but it's just not coming off. It's got to, It's a hard funk to get out of. Yeah, and I, I think, yeah, there are probably some older players on that team that may be a little bit concerned about whether they'll they'll be at the Blues next year or not. Mm. Not to be controversial. No, I know, but all of that makes me really worried. And like I said, I'm sad and I do not want to talk about it. Well, I just <laughs> talked about it for a good five minutes, so sorry about that. No, it's all right. It's, it's, it's good for my resilience. Uh, who will you play on Performer Goats? <laughs> so now let's speak about Adelaide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, three to Ebony Marinoff. We know she's just so consistent, so good. She had another 31 disposal in this game, eight marks, 10 tackles. She's their engine room and we love to see it. Um, two to Anne Hatchard. So she didn't play last portion of the game because they are managing her through that foot injury. Um, mm. But she had, still had 25 disposals, six tackles, 234 metres gained. They play really well as a one-two. One on the inside, yeah. one on the outside mostly. And it's just the chemistry is beautiful. Um, and then one to Mimi Hill, who again came back from that ACL injury last year. She was Carlton's best player, probably apart from Gab Pound. She's 20, 19. She's young. She's played, this was her seventh game of footy, and she showed up a lot of the senior players at Carlton in this game. Her work rate, her skills, very clean skills, very clean with the handball, but Mm. also choosing good options when moving the ball as well. Um, She had 25 touches, four marks, 340 metres gained. She was cramping up a little bit in the last quarter. It was a bit nerve-wracking because you'd see her run for a ball, and then when she didn't win it, she'd limp away, and then she'd run (laughs) for the ball again and then limp away again. It was just cramping those calves because she hasn't played in so long. But um, shout-out to Mimi Hill. That was spectacular from her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've actually agreed with you on all three of these. Uh, like that hasn't happened for a while. Um, <laughs> three to Ed Marinoff, two to Anne Hatchard, and one to Mim Hill because it's just so great to see her back out there and and in style. That was um, a phenomenal return. Well done.
then we get to our last game for the weekend, the showstopper down in Hobart, with the Roos finally ending Fremantle's unbeaten run. North put the pressure on and shut down Frio's usual scoreboard avenues with Eben Antonio being kept off the ball until late in the game. Huge marks in the goal square from Talia Randall were pivotal for the Roos, but some inaccuracy in front of goal for North Melbourne meant that the winning margin was only 10 points. Could have been a lot more. It was a huge game, um, and you can imagine that'll sting particularly for Fremantle, who are heading home after that game. They're on a plane as we speak. Bye, guys. It was nice to have you. Nice to have you here. Yeah, I think North's defence did their homework for this. Um, They saw what Western Bulldogs did on Tuesday, figured out how to lower Fremantle's efficiency once they did get the ball inside 50. It was almost like they conceded that it would happen, so how do we solve it once it's there? rather than hoping that they can stop it higher up the field. Obviously, you still try to stop it higher up the field, but mm. when it does come in, what is the plan? And, yeah, they they forced Fremantle wide. They forced them long. Didn't uh, the, Fremantle had a lot of shots that didn't quite score. They dropped short. So, again, they, they just played that forward line really cleverly, and that ended up, I think, being the difference in this game. Fremantle's scoring efficiency inside 50 from. So what I'm saying is, uh, what percentage of inside 50s do they get a shot on goal for, from? So 51.6% okay. of the time in round one that Fremantle got the ball inside 50, they had a shot on goal. Yeah. Um, round two, 56.3% of the time, 32-point win. Round three, 43.5% of the time, 30-point win. Round four was when they played Collingwood. Mm-hmm. They had 42 in, 41 inside 50s to Collingwood's 10. So they had a lot more inside 50. So the efficiency was lower, 31.7%, but they mm. won by 31 points because of the inundation. That's probably an outlier in the, this set of numbers. Yeah. Um, against the Western Bulldogs, it was even lower. It was 29.7% of the time. They only won by six points. And again, it was that last gasp goal from Ebony Antonio that got them over the line. And then Mm. against North Melbourne, it was 36.4%. They lost by 10 points. So the the thing with Frio is it's going to come in. They're going to get the ball forward, um, force them to take the most difficult shots possible once they do get it in there. That's how you can minimise the damage that they can do. Yeah, right. So kind of push them wider and not let them enter so many or so deeply into the Yeah, 50. so you'll notice Frio took a lot of shots from probably 40 metres out, and they also had a lot of shots from really deep in the pocket. Um, and that happened both against North and against the Western Bulldogs. So that's something to just watch how teams play that Frio forward line in the future. Interesting. Was there any wind in Hobart? Do we know? There was wind in Hobart. <laughs> Perhaps that's why... There were so many behinds. Just assume there's wind. Uh, who will your play on performer votes go to this week? Now, I'm finally able to do this. We all know that I love Jasmine Garner. We all know <laughs> this. She's been a bit down on her form this year. Um, she's been playing a slightly different role. They've moved some magnets around. So uh, her numbers don't necessarily stack up to what they did last year. But in this game, boy... 29 disposals, 439 metres gained, six score involvements, five inside 50s, vintage Jasmine Garner performance, and you love to see it. Two to Hayley Miller. 
again, Haley Miller, spectacular season, 20 disposals, nine tackles, seven inside 50s, 419 meters gained. So again, she's playing that tough two-way running midfielder that bursts out and gets the ball into the forward line. So Haley Miller, shout out to you. Uh, and then the one vote, <laughs> I had trouble choosing who to give this one to. There are a few kangaroos that you could have given it to, but I've chosen Emma Carney because I think, again, that role out of defense, kind of spitting out of the back line, her drive gives them a lot. She had seven intercepts and five inside 50. So intercepting the ball and then getting it inside 50 for them, I think is a really wonderful testament to the role she's playing at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've gone, although I feel like I should change it to Jasmine Garner <laughs> following, <that, laughs> following that amazing pitch. Uh, I've gone three to Ashradell because I think she she's still can, having a run of form that is pretty amazing and obviously combined with Jazzy today reaped many rewards for the Roos. Uh, I've given two to Emma Carney. Agree. I really love her in that halfback line. Like it's, it's a good role for her to play. And obviously, um, you know, having her out of the midfield means that those other players who are Mia King incredibly consistent and solid are getting much more time through there too so um you have to think it's a bit of a succession plan perhaps but I like it absolutely we talked like about it. on last week's pod I think yeah uh and one vote to Hayley Miller because uh again much like Ellie Blackburn and Emily Bates um they're having really great seasons um the captain sea suits are I set it up top of this pod uh it's just really really impressive to see her play the way she does and do it for four quarters I think that's that's the the crux of it um not every player can do that and she really lifts her team in that regard didn't quite pan out for them today but um still pretty impressive to watch I hope that isn't too much of a a sad and and depressive flight home for them I'm sad and I don't want to talk about it that's that's what it says on the thing (laughs) so Everything is a little bit up in the air at the moment, as we know, week to week. Uh, the fixture mixes it up, given our COVID ins and outs. Uh, so we've, we've picked our game to watch based on the fixture as it stands now, touch wood. Uh, Jim, what is your game to watch next week? I think it's really hard to choose any game except for Gold Coast against Geelong. They're Agreed. Two, yeah, they're two emerging sides. They're up and about at the moment. Geelong just got their first win. Gold Coast have had the two wins, had a loss, but still kind of come out out of it looking quite good. Um, I like the idea of these fairly evenly matched teams, Mm. quite young with some really good leaders. It's a really fun game that I'm really looking forward to watching. Yeah, agreed. It was my highlight for next round too. Um, I think we talked about it in our preview pods of each team late last year before the season kicked off. And one of my sort of like wishful wish lists in terms of games that we would see next year would be this rematch. I mean, obviously at the end of last season, they played each other to see who would come away with their first win for the season in the very last round of the home and away season. And those teams are so different. They are arguably completely different teams this side of Christmas. Uh, And I, I'm really excited to see the matchup. I think it'll be a really competitive game. I did also look at the rest of the fixture and think that I could probably work out who would win in each of those games. And I didn't want to think about some of it um, because 
Carlton is playing Frio, but uh, this one will be an absolute romp. I think it'll be a really fun game to watch. Agreed. Uh, and also we've decided, <laughs> again, thanks to the agility the fixture is currently experiencing, that we will not do our tips on the pod this week, uh, but we'll wait and present them to you on Twitter and, and on our Instagram. So if you would like to follow along uh, with us this season and, and of course with our tipping you can find us on twitter i'm at row underscore kel and you can also find play on radio melb what's yours Gemma? i'm at gl bastiani if you want my opinions on football as they come to my head rather than waiting for a sunday night to record a podcast <laughs> why not do both perque no los dos well that's it from us for now thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time on footy actually deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 